I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the biggest stories of the week. This week, we're talking to Las Cruces Sun News News Director Lucas Pierman and Mario Mocha, the Director of Athletics at New Mexico State University. We're talking about NMSU football's Cinderella season, how a team that started the season at 0-4 and lost a home game to Florida International, where the Aggies were actually a 14.5-point favorite uh, to drop to 1-5. Then came the rally. NMSU tore back to finish the season 6-6, six and six, including clobbering Valparaiso on December 3rd the team's 12th game after its homecoming game against San Diego State was canceled due to the tragic automobile death of 18-year-old Spartans freshman Camden McWright, who died near the San Diego State campus. The Spartans never made that trip to Las Cruces. Of course, that's not the only news surrounding NMSU athletics. We'll also talk about the recent shooting on the campus of UNM in the early morning hours of November 19th involving NMSU's starting powered forward Mike Peak in the hours ahead of the Aggie-Lobo rivalry and all that has happened since, including his suspension from the team. This week, I'm truly grateful to have Lucas and Mario joining us. First, Mario Lucas, uh, thanks for joining us this week on The Reporter's Notebook. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here, Damian. Thanks. I kind of want to let Lucas just kind of start us off here because before we talk football, which is kind of one of the two big stories, we probably also need to address the elephant in the room, and that's the ongoing situation around men's basketball. Lucas, do you want to do you have anything you want to ask Mario? Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and Mario, yeah, thank you for, for joining us in this podcast. When we uh, set it up, it was to talk about the uh, the bowl game. Uh, <laughs> there was some news that happened this week uh, concerning the uh, the shooting that happened November 19th in, in Albuquerque. And we wanted to uh, um, to address that somewhat. We, we didn't want it to, to, to go unsaid. Right. So uh, what I'd like to do, Mario, here is just kind of present to our listeners a, a, a brief a summary as I can of kind of everything that that we know from police reports, from police videos, uh, from other sources that we may have um, to say this is kind of where we're at with the with the shooting um, and give you a chance to uh, to respond to that um, if you choose to do so. OK, OK, so. Um, Here's a, kind of a summary of what we know, um, and I'm going to start with the events of October 15th. That was the date of the UNM NMSU football game at Aggie Memorial Stadium. Um, we know that uh, Mike Peak and some other members of the Aggie basketball team got into a, a brawl with some UNM students. Uh, we've seen video of that brawl. It was posted to Twitter. Uh, the athletics department was made aware of that video um, a week or so after that uh, uh, that incident and some discipline was handed out to the players involved at that time, though the level of discipline wasn't publicly stated. Uh, but we uh, we know it doesn't hadn't didn't involve any suspension from games, at, at least from NMSU. Um, fast forward a month, uh, Friday, November 18th, uh, New Mexico State basketball team uh, leaves on a bus for UNM. Uh, the Aggies and Lobos are scheduled to play the following afternoon, Saturday afternoon at the Pitt in Albuquerque. Um, on that bus is Mike Peake and his gun, allegedly. He allegedly brings his gun um, on that team bus. Uh, the team arrives at the Doubletree Hotel in Albuquerque that Friday evening, um, early Saturday morning. So this is about you know one thirty in the morning. Um, we have uh, actually receipts from a lift that Mike Peak got uh, from the Doubletree Hotel to the UNM campus that happened at one fifty one in the morning. Um, he goes to the campus to meet a uh, um, Maya Hill, a seventeen year old girl. Um, Peak takes his gun and his tablet with him. 
um, to the campus. Uh, Maya is friends with the UNM students who were involved in that brawl at the October 15th game. Police allege that Hill conspired with those friends to quote unquote lure Peak to campus. Okay, we've since seen video surveillance video um, that show Peak and Hill. Uh, they're walking with one another uh, right next to Coronado Hall, which is a dormitory on the UNM campus. Uh, we also see on that video uh, three men. Those three men are later identified as Brandon Travis, Jonathan Smith, and Elisha Upshaw. Uh, come up behind Peak and Hill. Um, Smith is seen on video taking a baseball bat to Peak's legs, uh, knocks him to his knees. Uh, Peak gets up. He starts running. Travis follows him. Travis shoots Peak in the leg. Peak takes his gun out and returns fire. He hits Travis four times and, and kills him. Uh, Smith, Upshaw, and Hill leave the scene at that time. Uh, we see on the camera, the surveillance video, that Peak is uh, he's hopping around on one leg, um, and he calls uh, his teammates. We know that he calls his teammates because that's what uh, uh, NMSU had, had told us. Um, we see in the surveillance video a Camaro arrive, um, and three men get out. Those three men are later identified as NMSU basketball players Issa Muhammad, Chichi Avery, and Anthony Roy. Peek later confirms that they met him in his interviews with police. We know that from a supplemental report. Um, the allegation is that Muhammad, Avery, and Roy helped Peek place the gun and the tablet that he had in his possession into the Camaro. The Camaro drives off, and then police arrive. Um We've learned from a source that's, uh, you know, not uh, in the police reports, supplement reports that Muhammad Avery and Roy were not at the hotel when they got the call from Peak. The person they were with who was not connected to the basketball team was the owner of the Camaro and was drove them to campus. Um, Peak is taken to UNM hospital. He has a gunshot wound to his leg. He has since been discharged uh, from the hospital. That's correct, Mario, right? I think can, well, I can't confirm, can't his, confirm that. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Uh, I believe it's been reported that he has been discharged. Um, there's a basketball game that was scheduled for Saturday, right? And that has been that was postponed at the at that point, and then later canceled. The December third game between the teams at Pan American Center was also canceled. Um, in the days after the shooting, Maya Hill and Jonathan Smith were both arrested and have been charged with felonies related to the rules in the incident. Upshaw, who I mentioned, has not been charged. Um, and he is not seen on, on surveillance video um, really engaging with, with Peak in any way as well. Um, NMSU holds a press conference a few days after the shootout. Uh, we learned some details about the university's response to both the October 15th brawl and the November 19th shooting. Uh, Mario, one of the things that you mentioned during this presser was your support of men's basketball coach Greg Heyer and his staff. Uh, you also said in conversations with Mike Peak that you had uh, when he was hospitalized that that Peak had uh, you know heaped praise upon his coaches and, and didn't want them kind of um, taking the blame for what happened there. Um, go following a few days later, the MSU basketball team goes to the Las Vegas tournament. Um, uh, the Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving, they also have a game on November 30th. They host UTEP, uh, another rival. Uh, Muhammad, Avery, and Roy are playing in all three of those games, though at that point, their involvement in the November 19th incident has not been publicly disclosed. Um, Monday, December 5th, so this is this week, um, Mario, he announced that Peak has been suspended from the basketball team indefinitely. Now, we know that he violated team rules and breaking curfew. He broke university rules by taking a gun on a school-sponsored trip. He may have broken New Mexico law by carrying a gun on the UNM campus. Peak has not been charged with any crime. Also on Monday, the basketball team is playing Simon Fraser that night. That's a makeup game for the canceled December 3rd game versus UNM. During that game, KOAT, a news station up in Albuquerque, publishes stories citing a New Mexico State Police supplemental report noting the involvement of the three players. Uh, the Sun News has since has our own copy of that of that supplemental report. We'll be doing our own reporting on it. But in that report, um, we also learn that there were conversations between police and NMSU coaches the, the morning on, of November 19th uh, after the shooting, officers were concerned about the items that they saw being placed in the Camaro. They had seen this on surveillance video and they had identified the players there and they wanted to talk to the players. 
um, hire said, well, we need to probably get some lawyers involved before the, um, you know, officers can talk to the to players here. Um, once they learned the game was postponed, NMSU begins traveling on a bus back to Las Cruces. Uh, police were still concerned that the items that were once in the Camaro might have been on the bus. So they arranged for the bus to stop at the Fort Craig rest area. which is about halfway between Albuquerque and Las Cruces. Police arrive so they can investigate. During that stop, uh, an officer uh, gets possession of Mike Peake's tablet from an assistant coach on the bus. Uh, that tablet was with Mike Peake during the shooting. Uh, we also police also learned that that the uh, the firearm that that Mike Peake is seen using in the surveillance video is back at the Albuquerque Hotel with another assistant coach. Uh, police go back to the hotel and are able to get possession of that uh, of that gun. So they have both of those items in their possession now. Um, on Tuesday, the university announces it's going to hire an external investigator to look into anything and everything related to this. Um, NMSU says, hey, we're going to base our next steps on this investigator's findings. Uh, the investigator has yet to be named publicly, but the, uh, the assumption is that investigation will start soon. The NMSU basketball team is now playing in a th- on a three-game road trip. They've got their first game tonight. Today is Wednesday, uh, December 7th. Um, people that listening to this will probably be, you know, a few days later, so we'll know the results of those games. One thing that we do know is Anthony Roy is not with the team on this road trip. Mohammed and Avery are. Um, the NMSU basketball program says Roy is not making the trip due to quote-unquote personal reasons. Uh, neither Roy, Mohammed, nor Avery, Avery have been charged with any crime. That's important to, to note here. Uh, the second judicial district attorney's office, which is in Bernalillo County and state police are continuing to investigate the events of November 19th and have not ruled out further charges against anyone involved. Take a deep breath there. <laughs> I believe that um, summarizes what the the Sun News has learned of where we're at with this. And I want to uh, you know, have you, Mario, if there's anything that you'd like to correct for the record here, if there's anything that you want to comment on, uh, please do so. Yeah, I think you've done a good job of encapsulating everything that's been out in the public sphere. You know, I know news seems to come out to just one outlet, then another. And, you know, we seem to get it later for whatever reason. But I think you've done a uh, I think that summary is a pretty comprehensive one. OK, good. Thank you. Um, what can you say about this, if anything? <laughs> yeah, well, and that's where I think, um, you know, a lot of individuals frustration lies because, you know, with, a, as you noted, an ongoing investigation, you know, as you noted, you know, an upcoming um, um, uh, you know, university internal review for lack of a proper terminology, um, it's difficult to and with, you know, student athletes or students, I should say, privacy rules regarding status with the institution as well as health um, um, you know the health of themselves uh, and their their uh, their the status of their current FERPA, situations FERPA from a health standpoint HIPAA, basically correct for and HIPAA yeah um, it makes it difficult to uh, have any comments that are any of any of substance so um, as I said you know we're we're not commenting during an during an ongoing investigation with all the other things that preclude us from saying something. Sure, sure. And and, and we appreciate that. Right. There's a there's a lot going on. Um, one thing that I'm hoping that you can talk about, Mario, and one thing that I think would be interesting to to the listeners of this podcast. Can you talk a little bit about the morning of November 19th? Can you talk about kind of how you came to learn about this and, and kind of the the thoughts and, uh, and and the calculus that was going through your your mind that morning? Yeah, you know, I won't get into it too, too much, but obviously I was in Columbia, Missouri, because uh, we had a, a, a game against the University of Missouri that evening on national TV that was paying the school $1.6 million. Um, so that was our biggest payday of the year. And uh, I won't get into all the specifics, but it was, 
extremely early in the morning uh, when my phone just kept going off and off and off. And that's when I learned. Uh, and then I started getting a flurry of phone calls from, you know, different individuals just, you know, kind of piecing together, you know, uh, what might have went on. So it was so early. There was a lot of confusion of what even happened. But, um, you know, I was aw aw awoken, awakened. Awakened. Awoken. Uh, I was awoke uh, by the phone early, early and, that morning. And you finally had to answer the phone at some point. Well, that's correct. You know, the first <laughs> one I was like, okay, maybe it's, and then, you know, it rang two or three times. I'm like, okay, let me, let me see what's going on. Sure. So that's all I'm going to say about that, Lucas. <laughs> but, I understand. You know, that's, yeah, that, that's where I was. I was in a, a hotel in Columbia, Missouri when I found out early in the morning. Understand, understand. It, it, it's um, just a you know, very tragic incident and uh, just a <laughs> tremendous situation that is uh, almost unrivaled in uh, in my career as a reporter. Um, and I'm assuming similarly unrivaled in, in what your long career is in working in athletics departments. Yeah, look, I've been around for a while. I mean, I've been involved in a lot of different things at the University of Missouri and at Southwest Texas State. So, um, you know, there's always uh, heightened interest, scrutiny, whatever other adjectives you want to put on there when it involves law enforcement and student athletes. Sure. Thank you. OK, uh, thank you for, for taking the time to answer that. Um, we also want to talk about the uh, the football program. Football. Yeah. Can we uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about football, Mario? It seems like MSU football coach Jerry Kill has turned the sort of ho-hum start to the season uh, that everyone seemed to expect, you know, from the community to the university and the administration into something of a Cinderella season. Can you kind of speak to that? Yeah. Um, you know, what's kind of interesting. I was, uh, I have a, a schedule just on paper and it's been on my wall right by my computer. And I finally took it down and uh, I looked at how we were one in five. And then we go on this streak of wins that I sure didn't uh, yeah. anticipate when we were one in five. And uh uh, yeah, it, it turned out to be a great story. And Jerry certainly, you know, inherited a team, kind of got here late, put together a recruiting class. And, you know, you really saw that, you know, you look at the football team as a, you know, as a crop, it sure bloomed uh, towards the end there. And um, yeah, it was really nice to see. And, and I think our fans are really happy. So I guess the next question, uh, which is the only thing that borders on the controversial is when are you going to sign that guy? Well, I think it's going to be very soon. You know, we had a couple of, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Jerry and I have known each other for 16 years. So it's kind of an atypical AD football coach relationship. Uh, I explained it this way. You know, when you explain to somebody about New Mexico State and, you know, kind of what we have and what we don't. And then, um, you know, and, and I think then when you get to Las Cruces and, you know, you see the locker room, you see the, uh, you know, the lack of a football practice facility, you see this, that, and the other, it's like, Hey, you know, are we going to, I know we don't have it now, but is there a commitment to fixing some of this, which is critical to having a successful football program? You know, anybody can have a football program that just plays games and, you know, plays money games and fills out a schedule, but you know, in order to be good, we're going to need to do some upgrades. So I think coach just wanted to get some assurances that, Hey, these things were definitely on the radar of the administration and there was a plan to address them. And now I think that's all completed. Um, there was just one other piece to be completed and that's in the, in the coach's hands. So I anticipate this being done really quickly. Um, however, it's not this palace intrigue drama that, Oh my God, Jerry's not signing his contract. The one thing I do want everybody to know, this has nothing to do with money holding out for money or anything like that. It was really a commitment to the facilities and the assistant coaches. So yeah, and, and I'm, he, I'm pretty he confident. really tried to make that clear too. Sure. Um, one thing that has become very suddenly relevant is whether or not he's got a bullwin incentive in the yet to be signed contract. Yeah, right. Yeah, there definitely is one. Obviously that would be a standard deal. I think it's one of those things where, 
Nobody anticipated that that was really a possibility in year one. We had won five games in the last three years. So um, he he joked about not having any leverage, but uh, getting getting this contract signed before that before that bull win might be the leverage he wanted. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, it swings, but we just want to get it done. I, all the most every regular point had been agreed to a long, long time ago. And like I said, I think any lack of urgency was just Jerry and my familiarity with each other and and not like, hey, I don't know about this AD. I got to get this signed. You know, I don't know about this football coach. I got to get this signed. I mean, we've known each other for a long, long time. And, um, you know, yeah, we're, we're not, on the same page about a lot leaning- of stuff. You're not leaning on each other one way or the other. Correct. When did things start looking like they were turning around from your perspective in your office, which, <laughs> uh, as I recall, is just a short stroll from a pretty nice view of Aggie Memorial Stadium? Yeah, no, I have a great view. I'm, you know, it's funny. I mean, I and a lot of people thought after that Hawaii win, right, you know, we had played, you know, two powerhouses, you know, we lost a close one on the road to UTEP, and now we get a Mountain West school, and we kind of had our way with them, and we thought things were ready to take off, and then we stubbed our toe against uh, FIU, Florida International, who had just come off a yeah, terrible and that, loss. And that was that was uh, kind of a surprise to everyone. Right. And now I think they ended up winning four or five games maybe this year. So anyway, you know, then we have a week off and, you know, we're wondering, you know, are we going to win any games? And, you know, you play the UNM game and, you know, that's successful, you know, and then, um, you know, obviously you've got uh, who was it? You know, we had Lamar uh, missing somebody else in there. And um, and then you go to Liberty. And quite frankly, (laughs) you know, Uh, You know, people ask you, did you ever think that was coming? I mean, maybe the players and the coaches thought that, but that was the second biggest upset in college football this year. If they would have told you that it was coming, uh, you wouldn't have believed them. Yeah, no, that was a uh, that was a tremendous upset. You know, that team that we beat, you know, at home on their senior day had won at Arkansas, which is a good SEC team that they won. uh, They beat BYU handily, which is a heck of a team. Uh, They had lost three games. They were eight and three. And those three losses were by a combined five points, one point to Virginia Tech, one point to uh, Wake Forest in overtime and then three on the road at Connecticut. So that was a, a team that was, you know, ranked 18th in the nation just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, that was a tremendous performance by our um, by the team and the coaching staff. Lucas, is there something you want to jump in and ask Mario right now? Oh, sure. And and, and just to um, uh, add some details to to the Aggies um, schedule there, the, the two games that weren't mentioned, uh, one at Massachusetts, that was the team's first yes. road win in yeah. four years, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, it was significant. You know, another thing, too, I know people like to talk about this. I never really give it much thought, but you had two wins on the uh, you know, in Eastern Standard Time, a lot of people talk about that. Um, but yeah, that UMass win was nice too. But I think the other story was New Mexico State won two waivers or were successful. You don't really win or lose a waiver, it's either successful or it's not. But, um, you know, we want after the San Jose tragedy where a student athlete died on the day they were to travel. Um, you know, we called everybody trying to get a 12th game and we were unsuccessful. So we really wanted to play a 12th game to have a senior day to honor the six game season ticket package that we right. that we sold to our season ticket holders, our corporate sponsor to commitment. And, you know, we were coming off a big win at Liberty and we wanted to, um, you know, let the fans see the team one more time. So that was great that that waiver was successful. That was also also important to the seniors to get one more home game. Well, a hundred percent, you know, we talk about student athlete, uh, um, you know, putting them first. And that's something we did. Um, the second thing, and simultaneously, we had a waiver in to the football oversight committee, which is a group that's commissioned by the NCAA. And um, ultimately, our waiver stated two things. One, five and six. It, well, let me back up. You know, there's 82 bowl slots. And if all the bowl slots aren't filled, the NCAA formula is you go to a five and seven team, and those are ranked based on 
your academic progress rate, APR, that's an academic was, benchmark. Your argument was that five and six is better than five and seven. Correct. Uh, yeah, a, by, by almost all measures. Right. So statistically, it is better. And as an old baseball player, you always fight for your batting average. That's one. The second thing was that not only were we five and six and that's statistically better, um, we try, you know, A, it was out of our control, you know, and I not to uh, it was a, another team student athlete, another team said, hey, they, they wanted to postpone. And we tried every other school that was out there that could play on those dates. And we were unsuccessful. So ultimately, the committee said, you know what? That's a really good um, reasoning. And we are going to put New Mexico State in at five and six. So technically, I think we were the 80th bowl team uh, on Thursday. Buffalo had beaten Akron uh, to be the 81st team. And then Rice University... Um, by virtue of having the top APR slot, was the 82nd uh, team and the last team in the bowl picture. So I thought that was a big story to uh, you know win those or to be successful with those two waivers. Yeah, Lucas, I want to bring you in here to kind of you know part of this podcast is peeling back the curtain, and I I want you to talk a little bit about why you've been so active on the sports beat in the past week or so, especially regarding men's basketball and uh, the football team. Oh, sure. Yes. I've, I've done some reporting both on the, the basketball team and football team here. Recently. Uh, and that is, that is not something uh, you did in the first half of the year. And no, it's been a while since I, my byline has been on the, uh, on the sports pages, uh, but uh, it's our, our, our readers have, have come to be aware. Uh, Stephen Wagner, um, one of our two sports reporters, uh, left the Sun News. Um, his his last day was supposed to be November uh, 19th, the, the, the day of the UNM and MSU game. And he left on Monday to Miami, where he's now a, a reporter for On3. Uh, dot com uh, reporting on uh, Miami, Florida uh, athletics. Um, and we haven't been able to to fill that position. Um, and, you know, we'll have to wait till till next year to to take a look at, at whether we, we uh, will be able to do so. But in the meantime, um, you know, we have Jason Groves, our longtime uh, sports reporter here. He's been handling some of the, the day to day work, but he needs some help. And, you know, one of the things that can Net, the company that owns the Sun News, mandated for all employees in in December was uh, five days of furlough in a cost saving measure. So uh, Jason was taking some furlough earlier or last week when we found out that NMSU was probably at, going to a bowl game, which was a, big news. <laughs> at a uh, not so great opportune time, maybe. Sure, but it, it gave me a chance to uh, to get back to my uh, my sports roots at at one time. Early, early in my career, I was an aspiring sports writer and actually uh, spent a summer interning at the uh, Boston Globe uh, Sports Desk, uh, which was a, uh, a great opportunity. Mario, can you speak to the perception that uh, Coach Kill might be exceeding all expectations in his first year? Is there a need for fans to temper those expectations? In any uh, way, you know, I, um, <laughs> if you look at Coach Kill's record, right? If you hire somebody that's got a record, you know, it's a little easier to, um, uh, you know, I say when you hire, you try to eliminate as many variables as you can. You know, Coach, right. his last three, you know, head jobs: Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois, uh, uh, Minnesota. You know, he took a one in ten team in Southern Illinois. And he was 10 and one in his third year. Uh, he took over a two and 10 Northern Illinois team. And three years later, they were 10 and three and you, won their you, bowl game. Certainly, you are not telling me that you expected this. Well, and then he <laughs> takes over Minnesota, who had five straight losing seasons. And three years later, they win eight games. They're in a New Year's Day bowl game for the first time in 54 years, and he's named Big Ten Coach of the Year. Now, I know this is a tough putt, but, you know, he has demonstrated he's been able to take teams that are really down and, 
you know, in, in, in all of those instances, really flip it. Yeah. Elevate them. So, you know, did I really think that? No, but, um, you know, when you You, keep doing it, there were capabilities. Sure. I mean, it was demonstrated that he's done that before. And I'll even give you the example, you know, coaches had, you know, health issues and things like that. He's very, been very candid about that, but, um, you know, he was an analyst at TCU and when, um, uh, TCU had fired Gary Patterson, their legendary coach, you know, historically you would take the offensive or the defensive coordinator and make him the interim coach for the rest of the year. Well, right. they made Jerry kill the coach who <laughs> was not even on a, a, you know, a, a true, one of the 10 paid assistant coaches. And the first, the first thing he does is get the team to beat a rank, a number 12 ranked Baylor team that ended up winning the big 12. And I think might've even went on to win the sugar bowl. So, you know, the guy's a master motivator. He's been around, he's the eighth active winningest coach in FBS football. So, you know, it all worked, it all worked out great that he was available, that we had a relationship and um, you know, he, he chose to come here because I think you can see, I mean, gee whiz, you know, you look at those stats and I can't give you those kind of stats, but the defense went from a hundred and something to 30 something. Um, You know, he's brought in tremendous coaches who can coach the guys. He's a motivator and he's a heck of a recruiter as well. So, you know, the talent will increase as well. I I know that one of the exciting storylines when it comes to the football team is senior Trevor Brohard, who was a freshman in 2017 when the team went to the Arizona Bowl, but he didn't get to play in that game. And now he's ending his college career with another bowl game, just the fifth for the program in the last 87 years. And I suspect he might get some minutes in that game. Uh, There's no doubt, you know, he has been a a stalwart on defense along with Chris Ojo, um, and they've been phenomenal. That's a little bit of defensive resurgence for us. And uh, I think it's great. It's a great story for New Mexico State that one of the leaders on the defense is is, uh, Trevor Brohart. And one of the big leaders on offense is Diego Pavia, who's another um, New Mexican. Uh, I believe he's Volcano Vista, and I believe uh, Brohard is Los Lunas. But, um, you know, a lot of people are always clamoring, we want New Mexicans. Well, here's your two leaders. And Pavia obviously led uh, New Mexico Military Institute to a a national championship last year in junior college. And, uh, you know, there's always a transition. But what's amazing is, you know, Jerry Kill and Tim Beck's ability to to uh, prep quarterbacks and have them ready, because when you saw him play against Liberty, um, a, you know, they were calling him Diego Manziel. He's running and scrambling all over the place. His passes are right on the button down the field. And, you know, he runs for three touchdowns, throws for three touchdowns, gets a helmet sticker on the ESPN college football show. They only give like six of those out. And he's named all these national player of the week uh, awards. Right. And this is a kid from NIMI and, uh, and uh, you know, in Albuquerque high school. So I think it's great for from the Volcano. state that we yeah. can showcase uh, New Mexico talent. And then you've got Pete, you know, our starting freshman offensive lineman who's from Shiprock, you know, uh, American Indian, Native American. Uh, and, um, he, you know, his first start is against Wisconsin. It's like, Hey kid, I know you just came from Shiprock, but go, def- you know, go uh, protect the well, quarterback. From you know, this maybe, pound maybe he'll have game. bookend uh, bowl games too. Yeah, so it's. It, I think it's a great story for the state because you have New Mexicans contributing significantly to uh, you know the success of this year. Lucas uh, yeah. mentioned this when we were talking earlier, but after we arranged this interview Monday morning, and uh, I. It pains me to come back to this, but uh, you certainly made a little more news with the athletics department announcement that Mike Peake was suspended indefinitely because of his role in the shooting death of, of Brandon Travis. And that, of course, remains under investigation. And without speaking to his situation specifically, and yes, I'm trying to get around HIPAA and FERPA. Mm -hmm. Um, 
What might a situation look like moving forward in a hypothetical world if a player were to return to the team after such an investigation was concluded? Well, I think, um, I guess I don't have to talk hypothetically, but um, I mean, I, I guess however you want to frame it. I, I <laughs> think you do. Like I, I think there. you do have to speak hypothetically well, because when, we can't talk about Mike sure. Peake. But when you have a situation like this, you have to understand there is a uh, ongoing investigation piece that eventually will be concluded at some point in time. And then there's the university, um, uh, the university, let's call it the university the, discipline piece. Yeah, the, right? the external uh, investigation. And, well, and I'm talking sort of about thing. per a specific student, right? If a student uh, has an infraction, the university has um, methodology to to you know hear the evidence and and weigh in on it, and then decide how a student's uh, fate is. You know, is right. Um, those are the things that can't be said publicly by me or the institution. So I think in situations like this, you wait for the investigative piece to end from a police standpoint, you wait for the institutional piece to go, and then the athletic program kind of goes after that, and then we'll, we'll decide after. Um, and, and again, uh, going back to the hypothetical, uh, going back to uh, a, something that looks like this, um, if a player is cleared of all criminal charges, found to have done no wrongdoing, you know, as far as university codes or policies, then would they be welcome back to the team or would they get eligibility back that that they would have given up during that time? Sure. Yeah, I, I think to answer your question, if theoretically that all happened, I'm sure all of us at the university, the leadership, myself, the dean of students would get together and discuss um, that student athlete's uh, future athletic participation. Yeah, I, I and I think that's interesting. Lucas, do you want to jump in here at all? Well, I, I think, um, you know, we, we covered a lot of that in earlier. Um, Mario, I, I want to talk about something that'll kind of uh, give you a chance to brag some more on Jerry Kill, if you haven't done so already <laughs> enough here. I don't, um, I don't think he has. One of the things that I've noticed um, in just being out and about in town is I see Jerry everywhere. I was yeah. went to a movie not too long ago and Jerry was in the audience there. And, you know, I was at the Las Cruces International Film Festival and Jerry's going to things out there. And I just see him kind of everywhere. And, you know, I see him at the basketball games and people are always coming up to him. You know, hey, Jerry, how's the team? And he's talking to everybody. He always, you know, in, enjoys engaging with the with the public here. And, and it seems like our, our fan base has really responded to that um, in, in a way that we can actually measure. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about that, Mario? Yeah, look, Jerry is a people person. You know, he's country and, um, you know, he wears his boots and his jeans and he's got his hat and um, he loves talking to people, you know, walks around with a cup of coffee. He'll talk to anybody. He is the furthest person from an elitist that you're ever going to find. Uh, he just enjoys that. And that's why I think he likes Las Cruces and, um, it just kind of fits him. And, you know, I also think that, you know, maybe it's a little slower pace than like a, certainly a Minnesota that's always has something going on or there's all these obligations. And uh, but, yeah, he loves to go out, loves to meet people, loves to get people excited about the program. And, um, you know, um, and it's what's funny, you know, I was standing next to him during senior day. And just to see him interact one on one with the seniors, Jerry has a very unique skill set. And, you know, I'm taking a line from an old movie, The Bronx Tale. Um, he is loved. One of, my, one of my favorites. Yeah, he is loved and feared by the players. And that is a very difficult uh, thing to do. It's very rare in coaching. Yeah, it it but goes the, back to, to Nicholas Machiavelli. Right. <laughs> it, 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 it's a unique thing where the players are 
afraid of someone, but they love, they love him. You know, those guys would, you know, run through a wall for coach kill. And I think part of it is, Hey, New Mexico state maybe didn't get a whole lot of respect. And here's a guy coming in and he said, Hey, you do what I say and you're going to get respect. And now, you know, we're knocking off Liberty. We're going to bowl games. We're talking about us on national TV. So I think that lends to, um, boy, this guy really knows what he's talking about. So that's been wonderful that, um, you know, I just think it was a little serendipity, right? Kind of, uh, you know, sometimes things just work out and it certainly worked out with, um, you know, the coach kill hire. I want to end on uh, the football team's trip to Detroit. Yeah. Uh, without having you prognosticate too much, what do we expect from the, the Bowling Green matchup? Uh, for the casual fan, it might be worth noting that the Aggies have never lost a bowl game, but Jerry Kill in his five tries has never won one. So uh, do we have a sense of which one of those streaks will come to an end? Because one of them has got to. Well, you know, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, since you asked, uh, you know, I was talking to the ESPN uh, bowl schedule maker several times and uh, i have i've known him for a long time uh we've golfed together in albuquerque at the new mexico bowl event and you know it really came down to this uh prior to all the upsets on championship saturday you know if penn state were to have gone to uh the rose bowl and uh ohio state gone to somewhere else we would have gone to dallas instead of going to Detroit. But when USC lost and two teams were taken from the Big Ten in the champion in the CFP, then that upset the apple cart. You know, I was like, wait a second, are you telling me who gets selected in the Rose Bowl? Depends on where the Aggies are going. And yes, that was the it answer. Also, it also is is certainly uh, going to have some sort of an impact on attendance. Well, no doubt. And I think you look at it like two things. Number one, from a fan standpoint and from an atmosphere, you would love Albuquerque, Tucson, Dallas, right? Because that's where a chunk of our fan base is. Um, However, uh, you know, the quick lane bowl, um, we are taking a big 10 slot. That is a Big Ten versus Mid-America Conference Bowl matchup with the two teams in the CFP. You know, the Big Ten couldn't fulfill all their bowl requirements. So this is going to be a, I hate to say first classes if others aren't, but, you know, this will be a power five experience for our student athletes. I think that's just going to help in recruiting down the road. You have to remember, this is going to be, we play on December 26th. Yeah, and uh, it's the only game. The, the only, only game on TV that yeah, day. Yeah, the only college game on TV that day. It's going to be on ESPN, which I think is in over 100 million homes around the country. So, um, well, there are drawbacks, as obviously our fan base um, can't drive over there, and it is very close to Christmas. It is a tremendous um, commercial for the institution um, for three and a half hours, so we're really excited about that. Thanks, Mario. I've, I've got a question. Can you go into some of the financial implications of this bowl game appearance and also talk a little bit about uh, ticket sales to this point? Yeah. So um, what's interesting is since we're an independent, you know, these bowls contract with conferences and the conferences or the bowls have specific payouts, right? Bowl X pays you know, Y and Z, you know, bowl A plays B and pays B and C and they pay that money to the conference. Then the conference doles that money out to the schools. Um, Since we're an independent, we get that money directly. So, you know, the first thing we saw was this payout and our eyes pop because we saw a million dollars, but we got the contract late Sunday night and New Mexico state is guaranteed, and this money will go directly to us because we're not in a conference right now, $150,000. There's also a ticket um, a ticket opportunity. So the first 2,000 tickets that we sell, we will keep all that revenue. 
The next 2,000 tickets that we sell, we'll split that revenue 50-50. So we can max out at, I want to say, $420,000, which we definitely will need because getting a football team to Detroit and the band and uh, uh, cheerleaders and mascot and and spirit squad and all the staff. It's not not peanuts. It is not cheap. And when you can hop on a bus and drive three hours and 30 minutes down the road to Tucson, um, it's much easier and much less expensive. So, you know, we'll try to maximize our revenues through ticket sales. I know we just got started and we have actually a team in Detroit right now uh, as as well as Bowling Green, you know, you always do a site visit immediately after you're selected. But I think at the end of this week, you will see us launch a campaign where we will try to sell tickets to all of our alums, even if they don't plan on going. And for that, they will receive a commemorative ticket, you know, commemorative bowl poster, perhaps commemorative uh, schedule so they can actually have these things. Uh, and then we're going to try to get the tickets that they buy. They'll get the physical ticket, but we're going to try to get, you know, boys and girls clubs and uh, kids in Detroit to come to the game where um, that with that purchase uh, alum ticket. That is correct. So they know yeah. that that is coming from New Mexico State because you look on the other side of the field and Bowling Green is about an hour and 30 minute drive at most to Detroit. So obviously, uh, we were very fortunate in Tucson where we could drive there and had a tremendous crowd. Now we're going to know how it feels because uh, Bowling Green State uh, will have a lot of their fans be able to just make that an hour and a half drive up and watch a bowl game. Yeah. Uh, and Damien, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask just a quick uh, comment here. Mario, I, I we're sending Jason Groves up to Detroit to cover the game. So I know how much it is to send one person up to Detroit on over Christmas. <laughs> I can imagine that the price tag to send an entire football team band athletics department is, is up there. Uh, so I, I certainly uh, had a chuckle when you mentioned the, the price to do so. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, and you know, I shared with Jason um, our Arizona bowl final budget. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's never known until months after, you know, but uh, he's got all that material. It's pretty interesting to see a walk down memory lane. We actually netted $130,000, which is very atypical. You know, these, these bowls are usually not money makers, uh, but we were able to, um, uh, to do that on that bowl specifically because of the geography. And I think, I think in this case, Mario, it seems like uh, this was not, probably a bowl that you budgeted for sure that is correct well you know the funny thing is in the past we had never included a line item for bowl game expenses and we certainly may have to uh start rethinking our budgeting um right uh our budgeting um, uh thought process mentality going into it yeah going into the the next fiscal year yeah Um, yeah yeah. mario uh lucas what do you want to add that we haven't talked about well i've got one thing i'd like to add and it was kind of a you know you talk about the jerry kettle effect and um uh our we've started we've kept records for the last 22 years i'd say you know in the computer era of season tickets and um Coach Kill, or this year, we were number two. Now I'm talking about individual game tickets. We were number one in uh, 2022 of most individual game tickets sold for a season. And we were number two in individual ticket revenue. And I thought that was pretty significant. And I pretty for much. FBS teams or no, NCAA no, no, for New Mexico teams? State. New Mexico State University, it was the second highest total dollars on single games in the last 22 seasons. Yeah. That's since we've been keeping records, and it's the highest total uh, tickets sold in the last 22 seasons. So to put that in in numbers, the top five in total dollars in 2005, which I believe was Hal Mummy's first year. And I think they may have had seven home games. I'm not sure. That was, that was under, uh, that was before your time and under McKinley Boston. I Correct. Think. Yeah. I think Hal Mummy, that was his first year as head coach. 
you know, we had made $387,385. This year we made $335,279. And then, you know, the other years were 2010, 2002, and 2009. Um, you know, we topped the tickets sold um, with 37,526 tickets sold. And the, you know, that was number one. And the years two through five were 2008, 2002, 2007 and 2005 so there's a lot of tickets sold in the mummy era as well um but um interesting stuff um you know and the second thing i'd like to bring up that i thought was a great stat and we'll surely be seeing this from the rooftop but um you know the the teams there's 300 and i think 57 division one teams and um um, the teams that have qualified in 2000 and tw- 2022 um, for men's basketball NCAA tournament, the baseball NCAA tournament, the women's soccer NCAA tournament, and, and teams that are bowl eligible or will play in a bowl game, um, there's only nine of those. And the list is University of Arkansas, LSU, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Texas Christian University, Tennessee, Texas, UCLA, and New Mexico State. Yeah, that's, so to, that's uh, good company. Yeah, to be in that group is kind of amazing with our budget and, um, you know, just speaks to, I think, a, a holistic overall successful athletic program. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, in some ways, our record. You know, like looking back the past few years. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, that's something that, you know, I think we'll be, we'll be pretty, uh, pretty, we're pretty excited about. Lucas. Well, thank you, Mario, for, for joining us. Um, I will be uh, watching the, the bowl game from Las Cruces uh, along with uh, much of Las Cruces, I imagine, and, and interested to, to see what happens. Except not Jason Groves, who will be, will be in uh, Detroit. He'll be there in, in Bowling the Green. Box. Yeah. Well, I appreciate y'all having me, and uh, uh, glad I could keep the commitment. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime in the future. Well, I, like I said, I sure appreciate it, um, especially with everything that's going on. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Reporter's Notebook. We also have a newsletter sharing reporter stories about, well, about how we report stories. You can find the rest of our articles in the Las Cruces Sun News. A huge thanks goes out to Lucas and Mario for joining us this week. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many of the places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been the Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. You can also find all our local reporting brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces at www.lcsun-news.com. For all of us at the Sun News, thank you for the privilege of your time.